HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome, everybody, to your very favorite podcast, Life's a Banquet, a show about all things edible, spreadable, and pourable, with me, your host, Clifford the Big Red Dog, and me, uh, I don't know, Nicole from Oliver and Company. Oh, that's good. That's also an animal. That's cute. Yes, it is. Sorry, there are some Italian men having an argument outside of my window, and it's a very loud... (laughs) 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 they're like fuck you move your fucking car and i was like that was me last week yeah that was when you beat up a hissy jew (laughs) (laughs) we had a cage match it was real rough i said well and i got to be there for it which was pretty great (laughs) on the phone (laughs) what's happening with you what's going on um nothing's happening i'm hanging out in my house which looks really good because i now have a dining room table and a chair i don't really like the chair but what's wrong with the chair it's just my parents gave it to me and it's like old and wicker and Mm. brown the wicker man chair Mm -hmm. yeah and i had to (laughs) buy like a pillow to sit in the seat of it and fucking pillows Pillows are, I'm not even done telling this story yet. This isn't even the bad part. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you had me at pillow. I mean, is there a greater threat to American life than the pillow? Well, this pillow at fucking Target costs $30. And I was on the phone with my sister and she was like, yeah, pillows are investment pieces. And I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's very, very questionable. I don't understand why pillows are so expensive. There's many things that I don't understand, like the cost of, to be honest, I'm not sure why a fucking chair is so expensive. Chairs are so, and I understand, yes, you sit in them, they support you. You can sit in one for years and years. I get it. But like every chair has to be over $500. I mean, I know. give me a break. And like what, if a chair is $500, how much is a couch supposed to cost then? Because that's just not right. It's more than like three chairs put together. It should be like $3 million. Absolutely. Don't even get me started on Cambro containers. That's that's a little inside baseball for our restaurant never. listeners. Um, I, Do you I know remember- what a Cambro container is? I just would like a quick pause. A Cambro container, folks, if you're not sure what it is, it's basically like a restaurant quality Tupperware um, where you put stuff in. Do you know that like a four quart Cambro container is like $30 and that does it doesn't even come with the fucking lid. You have to buy the lid separately. What? They're $30? Yes, I'm telling you, they're so expensive. Oh my God, but, I'm going to start stealing yeah. them for my work. You should and sell them on the black market. Sell them to me. <laughs> I'll sell them. I'll be like, I'll trade you this fucking camera for a pillow. They're the same price. Why? It's the new, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the new like selling cigarette, $10 cigarettes at the bodega. It's like $10 yes. cameras. Don't tell people about that, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right. So anyway, what else happened in this pillow fiasco? Is that it? That's all. Um, then I, so I also, I mean, this is actually a good story because I managed to go to Target and only buy the two things that I needed, which were tank tops and pillows. And I did not 
diverge. And I did not accidentally spend $300 there, which what Target wants you to do every time you walk in the door. It does. Whenever I go to any store, like particularly like this happens to me at Michael's, I then become convinced that I'm going to be a new person who like needs like a live, laugh, love sign. And like now I'm going to decorate everything with fake flowers and I'm going to get into making like miniatures and stuff. (laughs) Just like overwhelmed by the possibilities of who I could be. So that's why I try to stay out of Michael's. (laughs) Or Target. Target, yeah. I mean, they're designed to trick you into spending more. I would have spent more money there because I was going to buy some like holiday decorations for my home, but they were like completely wiped out of everything that was Christmas related, except for one really white light up tree, which I was like, this tree is pretty cute. I want to get it. And then it told me that it was a hundred dollars. And I was like, no, it's more expensive wow. than a real Christmas tree. Well, you know, here's the thing. I had a Christmas tree incident as well over the weekend, and I had contemplated going for a phony tree, which has never been my style. However, I like a phony tree, especially if it's like a fun color, like pink or white. Yeah. Um, But I've never done it before, and they are expensive, but real trees are expensive, and you're cutting down a freaking tree, and then you just buy the tree, the fake tree once. You know what I mean? It lasts a lifetime. Now, that's something that's worth investing money in. Sure, you only use it for two weeks a year, but it's like, <laughs> you don't sit in it. You could you could tra- make it into a chair if you really wanted to, I Where guess. Where would you even store a Christmas tree, though? I have plenty of storage. I've got the, my overhead storage uh, above my bathroom. I've got a basement I could put that dusty old tree in well i saw an aluminum christmas tree at the thrift store well not the thrift oh. store it was like the antique aluminum store. yeah because that's what they were made out of in the olden days but it's just like tinsel you know oh i love a vintage tinsel tree that's very nice but it was 165 dollars it's a dream you should have brought it and just left it up all year that's I guess cute i should have yeah that's a good idea well instead i bought one of those little ceramic light up christmas trees that are vintage you know what i'm talking about Yes, I do. Those are fabulous. I'm sorry. These men are still shouting so loud at each other. I fear one of them may kill the other. I can't hear them. Well, I've shut my door, but I can hear them. There's like a truck parked in the street, and it's like, when are you going to move this truck or what else? (laughs) 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 I'm trying walking here. I'm driving here. I'm like, guys, I'm doing a podcast. Please, I'm going to have to. I'm going to be forced to make fun of you on the show if you don't stop. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's too late. The threat right, let me, is reality. The threat's real. I wanted to talk about, shall we, should we talk about what everybody else is talking about or not about oh, sex in the city? Yes. I sort of blacked it out of my, my brain, but <laughs> here it is again. Unfortunately. And just like it's, that. It's with us forever. <laughs> the terror reigns. Chaos <laughs> No, I'm really happy to be having, like, getting a woke moment from, um, a bunch of older white rich ladies. I feel like it's really they're the ones that should be giving up, offering up their opinions on uh, the things that are happening it's in twenty twenty one. It makes sense. So disturbing. Mm. And but at the same time, <clears throat> there is like some fun to watching it because you're like the making fun of it afterwards is really fun. It is. I wonder if that's why they did it. I wonder if they're like, you know, what we could make something that's like decent or we could make something that's so awful that people just talk about it and it gives them joy and they laugh and laugh at us which is what I think hopefully they were hopefully they're in on the joke oh I don't think they are um but um I who you know who is in on the joke is Mr. Big in Peloton because they made that commercial which I found to be very clever I did too (laughs) very good brava brava Mr. Senor Big I don't think Um, he actually had anything to do with it he's just an actor he's just he was just paid yeah exactly um you know I just it, it was funny someone said it was like they're frozen in time and I was like exactly I mean perhaps it's a reboot instead of Sex and the City it could just be a modern day take on everyone's favorite movie Encino Man Right, like they've We're been like, frozen since the last episode of Sex and the City and they just have awokened. Exactly. Somebody kicked them into the East River. They froze into a block of ice in the winter, floated up to Antar- down to Antarctica, then floated back up, were unfrozen, and they're like, oh my God, COVID, podcasts, what the fuck? Global Let's get warming. into it. Global warming. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe this ice block melted so quickly. We were supposed to stay in here for another thousand years. 
And then we would never have had to see this show. Oh my God, Breton, former co-host of this very podcast, we were chatting about it. He goes, I wonder what's going to happen in the end. Maybe they'll all die. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was so, so funny. The thought of them just, I know that's terrible, but like of them just all dying. Like, it's not terrible. They all deserve to die. I, <laughs> <laughs> like so much sadness. Also, I can't believe that Callie from fucking Grey's Anatomy is playing this character on this television show. I just hate it for her so much. I love Mm -hmm. her. Well, I'm hoping that Ben and Jen make an appearance. It would be the only thing that could give me any more possible joy. Um, Well, also, you said something really funny about how they have ruined Todd Rundgren for you because... (laughs) Absolutely. Ruined Todd Rundgren. That's such a great song. Hello? I mean, like... (laughs) Here's the thing, like why, like I said to you earlier, is like, and I like Billy Joel, but take a Billy Joel song, like Todd Rundgren, that's not for you. Why do rich people have to take everything? Now I can never play Todd Rundgren in my apartment because my neighbors are going to think that I'm just like, oh, I heard this on Sex in the City and now I like it. <laughs> and I think that's extremely fucked up. And I wonder what Todd Rundgren has to say about all this, honestly. Todd, call into the show. <laughs> right? Or call in, Todd. Um <laughs> Write us a song. Why don't you write a reactionary song the way Peloton made a reactionary commercial? (laughs) I think that, like I was saying to you too, that they should have used Todd Rundgren's song, Tiny Demon, because that would have been much more appropriate. (laughs) And it's like not one of my faves. Either they have to pick a hit. I have a a medical question that my friend asked me, which is, would he still be alive? Like if he had like a major cardiac event like that, would he still be like, sort of alive when like when Carrie got home is that true I'm not even I'm not even sure that he had a cardiac event like we were talking about oh, the right. other day Maybe I feel like he just got him. tired he <laughs> fell down she accidentally drowned him in the shower he was like I'm just resting I'm yeah. tired I fucking wrote I'm old so and then now she drowned him the rest of the season will be her trying to get away with murder Exactly. Now that would be a very interesting twist. Folks, if you're listening at home and some you are witnessing someone having a cardiac event or really any kind of emergency, that's a good time to call 911. Yeah. That's the only time to call 911 yeah. if there is a medical emergency. Don't just hug them and squish them and drown them in the shower. <laughs> call also, an ambulance. We should say that this episode contains spoilers (laughs) yes if you don't want to know what happens in the first episode of sex in the city get yourself a time machine like your friend brendan fraser and uh go back to this the ice age and then defrost in thousands of years um yeah this is a spoiler alert sorry but yeah i had to um previously just had some spoilers (laughs) sorry we In classic Life's a Banquet form, everything is after the fact. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, I went to go see the lights in Diker Heights this weekend with my friends Jess and Trina. Mm-hmm. And it was so fun. And I bought a tiny little jar of rum with me because I had forgotten to get airplane bottles. So I brought a little jar of rum, which looked like urine. Um, <laughs> it was the only alcohol I had in my house. And then we saw the Christmas lights. We went to LMB's Pomoni Gardens. And it was such it was a chef's kiss perfection Mm, i want to go to spumoni gardens i miss that spumoni gardens is great and they're opening one in my neighborhood kind of like down by brooklyn bridge park you know how there's like all the like pizza places down there grimaldi all like mediocre like tourist pizza places they're opening one down there and i'm like "Mm, i'm not i'm not interested in it well you know what sucks about spumoni gardens nothing there's spumoni Italian ice. <laughs> you don't like the spumone? I like it. That shit's delicious. I wanted it to be beef? ice cream. I thought it was ice cream. Oh, no, it's like an ice. I know. <laughs> Excuse us. I'm sorry. Just write them a letter. I mean, I like their spumoni. I didn't get it the other day because it was absolutely freezing cold. I could barely even pry open my mouth to eat pizza. Let alone <laughs> were you guys spumoni, sitting but, Yeah, we were sitting outside because they closed the inside. It's like not open in the pizza shop part anymore. What? Like, you can't go sit, eat slices in the pizza shop part. You can go in the restaurant, in the restaurant. Like if you want to sit and have dinner. But I'm not sure that they serve pizza in the restaurant. So, they like, don't. we did not fuck with that. Yeah. All right. No, they do. Because I've eaten. Do they? The, I ate in the restaurant side one time. And I'm pretty sure that I don't remember. I'm pretty sure we got pizza. 
All right. Well, look, if you're, uh, if you know the answer to this question, please call into the show. If you're, if anyone's even listening. Yeah. Mom. Well, Mike Sala <laughs> Just kidding. Know, she doesn't I listen. Think. Mike Sala, I meant to say, uh, this is, I have a huge regret. Mike Sala ordered from Zaza Lasagna this weekend, famed lasagna pick, uh, pop up from yours truly please order before we go bankrupt and out of business um i don't know why you guys are all back at restaurants and no one's ordering takeout just kidding we're doing okay but um mike sala ordered a lasagna on friday and it must have been like the two seconds i ran downstairs he like came to pick it up and mike mike i didn't get to say hello to you and i feel terrible about it oh, that's so. really fucked up I know. It's so silly. It's like the weirdest, rudest thing ever. I'm sorry. Well, I felt sad. Speaking, Order again. Speaking, <laughs> yeah, that's the trick. Speaking of rude things, I have some information about Ben Affleck. Ugh, I wish <clears throat> I was hoping and praying that you would. Okay. And his ex-wife is involved here too. Okay. Who? Uh, Corel DeVille? No, her name is also Jennifer. Mm, he's got a thing. He's got a Jennifer penchant. Mm-hmm. Watch out, Jennifer so, Coolidge. <laughs> okay. Jennifer Garner was in high spirits at the farmer's market with Uh-oh. her son after getting into a heated argument with Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck? <laughs> what did he do? What were they fighting about? I don't know. There's a picture of them standing on the street, and the radar online says, Jen Garner looks upset during intense conversation with ex-husband Ben Affleck. <laughs> Which is how I'm going to say it. Ben Affleck is so funny, dude. <laughs> ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. It's like Bela Ben Affleck. Say it three times he appears in the mirror and <laughs> smokes a cigarette in your face. Um, and then, according to The Sun, there are seven mm. secret signs that Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck will marry. <laughs> oh my God, what are they? So, well, from... A $1.2 million ring to a very spooky Mystic Meg prediction. I don't know who Mystic Meg is. Oh, dude. Mystic Meg is the fucking shit, actually. Mystic Meg is, like, um, she does horoscopes, and they're so fucking awesome. She's one of, like, I love reading the Mystic Meg horoscopes. Yeah. Okay. Well, the number one prediction is the wedding dress. So, at the AMAs, Jennifer Lopez wore a bridal gown, apparently. Um, really? I'm going to look it up right now. While she's saying, I mean, it does look pretty bridal, but also, I don't know. It is kind of a weird thing to be performing a concert in, but whatever. Um, but the track on my way is a single from her new rom-com, Marry Me. Oh, wait, her new movie is called Marry Me? Maybe this is all just like a, do you feel like maybe the whole thing is kind of just, uh like a publicity stunt yes and they're not Um, even really like together they both have other boyfriends and girlfriends that could be possible um they also say that if they do want to tie the knot the couple could have already sorted out their engagement ring because he proposed to her in 2002 so maybe he would just use the same 1.2 million dollar ring that was pink he definitely should she is wearing kind of a bridal gown it's tam though it's nice yeah, but she's also singing a song from her movie, Marry Me. So that is right, why she's that makes sense. wearing a wedding right, dress. Right. Okay, so Mary, again, 100%. J-Lo says she would, even though she's been married to 100 people, she would totally get married for a fourth time because she is a romantic. So if Ben was reading that, maybe he thought it was a message to him. Um, <clears throat> the fourth sign that they're going to maybe secretly get married is the look of love. They can't seem <laughs> to help but gaze adoringly into each other's eyes. So <clears throat> they are in a relationship is one of the signs, basically, is what they're saying. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> the fifth sign is family blending. Um, the couple are reported to be planning a family Christmas with their two sets of kids. Maybe that's what Jennifer Gardner was pissed about. Yeah, she was like, I, now what am I supposed to do? She was like, I, you can't take all my children and just give them to jennifer lopez there can't be two jennifers in one christmas celebration come on <laughs> let's get serious here um the sixth sign that they're gonna get married is that they are red carpet ready which means that they have been seen on the red carpet and that of course means that a wedding will follow immediately after that um <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if they'll walk down a red carpet for their wedding um and the seventh sign is that it is written in the stars jennifer was born on july 24th and Affleck was born on August 15th. Oh, my God. They're both mm. Leos. 
Um, <laughs> the star sign is ruled by the heart. I'm also a Leo, so this. I know. I was going to say this does track. I think that this you're is, marrying them too. I'm going to get married to them also. Um, is there a throuple? So Leos are passionate and romantic, and their competing egos make them butt heads. But they share the same values, so they're like lions, known to crave physical touch. And with spooky accuracy, Mystic Meg predicted back in January that Leos could be in store for boomerang love in 2021. Mm, love boomerang love. So all Leos, where's mine at? And yeah, that's a great question. boomerang love also? When the old love comes back. Oh, all right. It looks like you and Gilbert Gottfried might get a second chance. I hope so. You know, we did break up over that Aladdin incident. <laughs> <laughs> you had that one in the chamber that's because you're funny i did not i did not have a fucking gilbert godfrey joke in the chamber it just came to me i was a comic genius <laughs> oh that's funny all right cool all right. Well, should we get into this week's topic yeah now let's talk about something that's not funny at all because zara is forcing us to talk about Traditional Christmas foods, which is the most boring topic of all time, besides when we talked about World War II. <laughs> well, actually, I have a World War of my story then. World War One. Which war? Which war did we talk about? We talked about war. We did a whole episode on World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> but World War One is coming, folks. And we're working. Don't you worry. We're doing all of our research. And I know you've been dying, no pun intended, for our World War One follow-up. And then we're also going to do the Hundred Years' War and the War of the Roses, the movie. Well, I am covering a vintage war today in my story, so I'm not even kidding. <laughs> okay, well, I also touch on a vintage war in my research. Um, you do? I hope it's not the same thing of my... What vintage war are you talking about? The Crusades. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a very vintage war. That's not the same <laughs> the vintage war I'm talking about. starring Kevin Costner. Um, <laughs> okay, so I'm talking to you today about two things because I didn't have quite enough information about one thing. And that is figgy pudding, and then we're just going to do a light dusting across mince pie. Mmm, yummy. Yes, delicious and brown. Um, (laughs) Very brown. (laughs) So according to wikipedia.com, figgy pudding is a vague term used for a class of traditional Christmas dishes, usually sweet or savory cakes containing a sour, sweet, creamy layer of honey, fruits, and nuts. That, to Oof. me, is a very confusing way to describe this dish. It's very, very confusing. Um, and then it says, and I'm quoting here, in later times, they started adding alcohol. So they're just like, later on. We're not going to give you any sort of time frame. It could be like later on that day. Later just on, later. Just like later. Wikipedia later says, alligator. Height of our research in America is this Wikipedia article, and that's all they could come up with. <laughs> um, so later they started adding booze to it. Um, the website Nitty Gritty Life says that the original figgy pudding was actually um, a pottage, which means it was meat, root, vegetables, and dried fruit stuffed into a sheep's stomach and boiled for many days. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Love uh, it. Which sounds is really yummy. Um, and also, Delicious. is that what haggis is? Is that kind the same of, kind yeah. of thing? <clears throat> well, haggis is, yeah, it's similar. It's like rice and stuff. And I believe there's like nuts and yeah, it's a similar it's situation. Some, yeah. So it probably is a pottage as well. Um, so figgy pudding is often used interchangeably with plum pudding and Christmas pudding, but technically figgy pudding, the OG is not the same. So, um, Basically, the original figgy pudding um, was a wet, sticky, thick porridge made of boiled figs, Mm. wine, ground almonds, and raisins. And then it evolved into the steamed pudding that we think of as like Christmas pudding or plum pudding present Mm. day, if you're in England. Interesting. I, of course, have never eaten this before because I'm in America. That's Um, true. And you should stay in America because, uh, you know, this... Pudding is dangerous, as we all know. And and, and uh, across the pond, they call everything pudding. That's a dessert, though, which yeah, is very is confusing. Very confusing, because what if you're eating, like, baklava, and that's pudding? 
Absolutely. What about a cookie or ice cream? Also pudding? It just doesn't really make any sense, guys. And then what happens when they get a pudding cup from Jell-O pudding? That's exactly they, right, Nicole. What do you call that? Chaos a, ensues, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I don't even know if they're allowed to sell Jell-O pudding in England. but um, <laughs> I hope, yeah, probably not. So, so yeah. So basically, the precursor was like this wadded up brown pile that eventually turned into a steamed pudding, which is basically like a steamed cake. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason why they were doing all this cake steaming is because they didn't have a lot of eggs. You know, it was hard to get some eggs. Of course, yeah. Um, so in 1845, this is the first year that people actually start calling this concoction a Christmas pudding. And it was in Eliza Acton's best-selling cookbook, Modern Cookery for Private Families, which I think is a very specific title. <laughs> for private families. <laughs> like, what about the public families? Which, <laughs> which only very private people need a cookbook. And it was a bestseller, so there must have been lots of private families around. Incredible. Um, Christmas or plum pudding. It's called plum pudding in the UK because those crazy Victorians called anything that was a dried fruit a plum. So they're just like laying around on their fainting couches being like, that's a plum. That is a plum. Also, (laughs) this is a plum. (laughs) So the name stuck, but there are no plums in plum pudding. There's just raisins. There's no figs in there either. (laughs) Wow. That's terrible. What a misnomer. I know. Um, Also, like a lot of Christmas dishes, according to this article, I did not really put this together, even though I was raised in the church, is that plum pudding is really incorporates baby Jesus symbolism into it. So it has 13 ingredients, one for Jesus and 12 for his apostles. Um, the ho- You're supposed to put it out with a bunch of holly on top of it, and the holly is supposed to represent the crown of thorns. And then you set the pudding on fire because it's, ah! it's full of alcohol. <laughs> but why? Um, and the fire represents the passion of the Christ. And I don't know what the passion of the Christ is. I, I don't either. I thought that Christ was meant to not have any passion. I mean, is Christ allowed to have sex? Well, some people think that he did. But um, some people think he's he was just like a regular. He was just a regular Jesus walking around. But um, <clears throat> regular Jesus. There's also the movie <laughs> The Passion of the Christ, which I have not seen, but maybe it would tell me what the passion yeah. of the Christ is, but I can't watch it because of Mel Gibson. Yeah. You're not a Mel Gibson fan. I wish Mel Brooks had done it instead. That would have been yeah. a better. Well, he kind of, didn't he do a movie like that? Yeah. Dracula dead and loving it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus also, dead and loving it. <laughs> speaking of dead and loving it. Traditionally Christmas pudding is made five weeks before Christmas. And you just wow! put it in the basement. So basically, really? <laughs> so basically, it's kind of like um, a fruitcake. So like mm-hmm. you basically, there's nuts, you're preserving it with all the alcohol, and then it will keep for almost forever. So you can just like, as long as you wrap it up and put it in the basin, it'll be fine in five weeks. Um, and also the <laughs> five weeks aging or whatever brings out more of the flavors, allegedly. I don't know. But we you did know, a whole I'm episode. happy to try this. We had a whole episode about fruitcake, and you guys should go back and revisit, because that was funny, I think. It I was very funny. I re-listened to it recently. Your your detailing of fruitcake is amazing. <laughs> and also, there's like a fruitcake throwing contest. Mm-hmm. And I talk about gingerbread, which I think is also quite hilarious. <laughs> if, you, if you like those sweet and kind of, you know, spiced delight, Christmas delights, this episode's for you. <laughs> um, one more thing about fucking figgy pudding the victorians <laughs> these nutty nutty victorians because they didn't have tv um they, the figtorians nope they uh <laughs> <laughs> they there was a tradition so they would set the figgy pudding on fire the christmas pudding forgive sure. me um and then the kids around the table would go and try to pick the fruit out of the burning hot flaming <laughs> guys come on like that was what the children would do they were like kids kids get over here put your hands in this fire and see if you can fish out some flaming hot plums that are actually raisins the original flaming hot cheetos was just flaming hot raisins (laughs) oh my god that reminds me of something we do need to talk about this so there's like now flaming hot cheetos flavored items at applebee's like wings oh hmm okay no go on wrong it doesn't make sense to me because it's just like 
it's too much like back and forth, right? Like the flaming hot Cheeto is already the flavor of a wing, right? Right. Because like a wing is a spicy. Wow, whatever. I didn't even so, think about this, but you're right. Right. So it's like it's like a weird overlapping, like never ending fucking life cycle. It's like an Ouroboro, <laughs> like a snake eating its tail. Like what's the, when does it stop? Are then they going to make like flaming hot Cheeto dusted wing flavored flaming hot Cheetos. And then they make flaming hot Cheeto flavored wing dusted flaming hot Cheeto flavored wings. <laughs> it's like, who's going to put a stop to this at some point? It's just going to become know. too much. I mean, Biden isn't doing anything about this. And I, that's true. Well, he's dead. That's why. Oh, he's dead and loving it. That's right. <laughs> he's dead and loving it. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> he can't do anything he's dead he's busy dead and loving it yeah he's very busy loving it being dead uh, <laughs> okay well i'm sorry that i digressed into flaming hot cheetos but someone had to say something but um i'm done talking about figgy pudding now and i'm going to talk to you Thank God. <laughs> about mince pie which is what everyone has been asking us to talk about for years, mm. years mm-hmm. and years. Um, <laughs> um, After you do that World War One episode, please, <laughs> on to mince pies. Yeah, so mince pie is a sweet pie of an English origin with dried fruits and spices that is called mincemeat. Um, the pie dates back to the 13th century when Crusaders, a cab... Um, <laughs> all crusaders are bad are bastards <laughs> and th- yeah, that is correct Sarah. crusades are really fucked up so even yeah. though kevin costner is very handsome he it's fucked up that he fought in the crusades in uh, uh when he played robin hood um, it is uh, ryan and his girlfriend Corey recently bought me uh, a pack of uh, Robin Hood I wanted to say men in tights Robin Hood Prince of Thieves trading cards <laughs> well that sounds delightful um but I feel like I hope that we didn't I hope no money went to the crusades for the purchase of those <laughs> cards. that's true well you know it's like if you support like someone after they passed away like you know it's not like not like you're directly giving them money so I think at this point the crusades are long enough <laughs> past <laughs> that no one's getting rich off them <laughs> Well, you don't know that, Sarah. Except for the Catholic Uh, Church, yeah. (laughs) The Catholic Church. Um, (laughs) So when they went on their fucking psychotic religious war, they killed a bunch of people and stole their recipes and brought them back to England. So this is also sort of referring to the gift of the Magi, which is cinnamon, cloves, and nutmeg. So basically they they found a lot of Middle Eastern food. They're like, this is yummy. Um... I wish that that dead person could tell me this real recipe. I'm just going to make it up on my own. Um, and then, so they became these pies. And there's a lot of Christian symbolism packed into these pies, obviously, because these people have a one-track mind. Um, so there, <laughs> There's Christian, Christian symbolism packed into every bite. <laughs> these people cannot get enough of baby fucking Jesus. Um <laughs> They are obsessed with the Christ child. I don't know what their deal is. Um, But yeah, so the pies themselves back in the day were shaped like the manger that little baby Jesus. Oh, wow. That's a lot. That's very complicated, it seems. A manger shaped pie? Well, it's more like a coffin shape, but they called it the manger. Um, Okay, got it. It's a, you know, interesting symbolism there. But um, Mm. early versions were also called a mutton pie, a shrid pie. Which is my favorite version. A shred pie? Yeah, like That's a, like a great insult. You're a shred pie. Shove it, shred pie. <laughs> That's probably what the guy outside was calling, saying to the other guy. Yeah. You're a fucking a shred pie. Yeah, he sounds like he's definitely from the time of the Crusades. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then eventually this pie became associated with Catholic idolatry. So during the English Civil War, which I didn't even know that they had an English Civil War. Mm-hmm. So we were just copying off them when we had our Civil War. <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> anything you can do i can do better i can do anything better than you even war even war no okay why do you sing on every episode now? You're not- i'm singing on the podcast <laughs> wow. i have to go um <laughs> so yeah during the english civil war which was probably you know more fun than our civil war um the puritans were like we do Catholics suck. 
this all of this idol worship and all of this fucking mince pie is wrong and we as puritans will not participate in it and puritan church leaders were not allowed to eat mince pie at christmas which sounds very sad to me but the puritans notoriously are really boring losers and that's you know our founding fathers or whatever so totally can you imagine that's how you want to spend your one life as a motherfucking puritan Mm -hmm. yeah anyway that's all i have for you guys no, it's very interesting. I want to just tack on something to this, Nicole. I don't know if you're familiar with Fanny Craddock. Have you ever heard of her? Uh, was she like one of the Salem witches? No, but kind <laughs> of. Uh, she was a woman in like the 60s or maybe even a little bit before. I can't remember. Breton did a whole episode about her. Oh, she's like the marijuana lady. No, oh. she is. Uh, try again. She was like the original Julia Child. So she had like a cooking show on TV, but she dressed so so crazy she looked like she was dressed as like a drag queen essentially her makeup big eyebrow and she was british and she like oh my god she looked incredible so fabulous so wild and she had there was like no running water yet for like cooking sets so she'd like have her hands in these mince pies and then she would just like wipe them off with like a dry towel Ah! (laughs) just really funny (laughs) you have to watch it truly anyone listening go ahead do a quick youtube rabbit hole of fanny craddock and you will thank me later okay also she has one when she makes mince pies particularly that's quite great okay also what who's the marijuana lady then that was maybe also a fanny i did the story of her brat no she made brat i don't know i can't remember whatever go back and listen to preemie episodes if you want to or you could also just do a wikipedia article of yep quick wiki search and there you go (laughs) mary Something, I don't remember, I don't remember. Okay, uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese... The tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Um, so just a quick, we looked over on the break. Her name was Mary Jane Rathburn. Um, and she was awesome because she started baking brownies for a lot of people who were uh, suffering from and dying from AIDS. Her and name was Mary Jane? Yeah. Mary Jane Rathburn. Mm-hmm. I know. Isn't it wild? It is. Brownie wild. Mary, they called her. Brownie Mary. Go back and listen to that episode with Brownie Mary. That's a good one. Okay. So for today, folks, I am doing a story that I have already done. Why is this? Because I did it in one of our very first episodes. I feel like, A, perhaps many of you hadn't listened to it. And B, maybe I didn't do such a great job of telling it. So I wanted (laughs) to retell it. Maybe, maybe yes. So I wanted to retell it because it's one of the greatest stories that I've ever heard about Christmas food. Um, And it is the story of... Basically, when in 1870, the elites of Paris ate the entire zoo. What? (laughs) Yes. So I got my information today mostly from two articles. One great article in Munchies uh, called When They Ate the Zoo, Nobody (laughs) Wanted to Touch the Hippo by Casper Foe Hansen and Lars Erickson. And an article in Atlas Obscura by Anne Eubank. So basically... 
I'm going to start off by telling you a little bit about your favorite war and mine, the Franco-Prussian War. (laughs) (laughs) I love that war. I love it too. It was so adorable. So often referred to in France as the War of 1870, it was a conflict between the Second French Empire and the North German Confederation led by the Kingdom of Prussia. Now Prussia is also Germany. Not to be confused with the King of Prussia Mall, which I think is somewhere in Philadelphia. Ah, your favorite mall. So it lasted from July 19th, 1870 to January 29th, 1871. So not a terribly long war, just a little quickie, a little yeah. quickie war. Just like, we're mad. We're angry. And it was a conflict caused by France's determination to restore its dominant position in continental Europe, which had lost following Prussia's crushing victory over Austria in 1866, as you all know. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just telling you stuff you already know, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, according to historians, Prussia's chancellor, Otto von Bismarck, deliberately provoked uh, the French into declaring war on Prussia in order to draw four independent southern German states to join the North German Confederation. Wise. So that's just a little uh, backstory. Mm-hmm. So during the siege of Paris in the year 1870, when like this all kind of circled around Paris, the German emperor, Kaiser Wilhelm, had crushed the French uh, forces at Sedan, making mincemeat of Napoleon and his unmotivated troops. Mincemeat, so, full circle. Exactly. So one of the things about the Franco-Prussian War that people actually might remember is that they were, like, all of the Prussians were wearing spiked helmets. Ah, yes. It's a very famous look. I wish we would bring it back today. I do, yeah. All I remember about wars is the fashion. Yes, the fabulous fashion. So Paris was surrounded and the remains of France were going to be starving to submission. Um, and there was a severe shortage of food in the city. So they hadn't surrendered yet, but they like had the city surrounded so they couldn't get any food in or out. Um, in the months that followed the uh, September, Parisians ate 70,000 horses. <laughs> no, 70,000 horses were living seven- there? Exactly. I'm very confused. Uh, All the dogs, all the cats, and all of the rats that they could find. And, like, what would happen with that, like, towards the middle of this thing, like, in the late fall, but when they had eaten all the horses, then they went to cats and dogs and rats, and, like, butcher shops would have cats and dogs and rats on display. You'd go to bistros, they'd be selling prefix menus with rat, mice, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so, okay. So we are facing like a cataclysmic food shortage and yes. restaurants are still open. Exactly. <laughs> no, that seems insane because to me. <laughs> it's the, it is the Parisian way, okay. you know? They're like, we, have, the we simply way. must go out to eat. Many During- restaurants closed, but it wasn't, yeah, exactly. We have to go out to eat even if the only thing on the menu is like a fricassee of, you know, tiny house door mice. Huh. Okay. So in the days leading up to Christmas, the zoo in Paris announces that it can no longer feed the animals and they would have to all be put down because they, you know, there's no food. Why are we going to feed the animals? Um, They tell the nation this? Yes. So instead Everyone was so much more honest in the 1800s. Right? Instead of killing them, they decided that they were going to eat them. Well, they would still have to kill them. Well, instead of just killing them and, like, burning them in a fire, they were like, let's eat these fuckers. And so there's a couple of things they didn't eat. Like, they didn't eat the monkeys. They didn't eat the lions and tigers, which I'm unclear and why not. And the hippo is apparently too disgusting to eat. Which, what? That's so mean. To I know. Hippo. Also, why it's, wouldn't they eat a lion? I feel like that would be, like, a lot of meat. Absolutely. And then you could wear the fabulous fur. Oh, my God. Um, I don't get it. Oh, do you know that the uh, costume... In the Wizard of Oz, the lion costume is actually real, like a real lion hide. Whoa. And it weighed like a hundred pounds. That poor man had to go. That poor lion. <laughs> and the poor lion. <laughs> Everyone knows a lose-lose situation. But um, okay, so there's a famous chef. His name was Chef Alexandra Etienne Sharon. And he was famous for a, a sauce called Sharon sauce. And Sharon sauce is essentially a Bernays that doesn't have chervil or tarragon and that is flavored with tomato puree. Huh, okay. So, yeah, he gets put in charge of making his version of, like, The Last Supper. Again, Jesus, hello. Um, 
So Voisson restaurant was his restaurant. It was on the Rue Saint-Honré and it was the distinguished, uh, where distinguished Parisians went to feel even more distinguished. The restaurant okay. is a part of a genetic ancestry of haute cuisine and one of cel- uh, one of the seven pillars of culinary wisdom. Oh, I knew that that was one of the seven pillars of culinary wisdom. Of course. Wisdom. What, what are the others? Flaming hot Cheetos. <laughs> yeah. Applebee's, chilies. <laughs> Crystal clear, Amico ultimate, Pepsi. <laughs> um, okay. So the civili- it was a civilized city's only approach to taunting back at the cannon and steel at Bismarck. So it was almost like part of the reason they were doing this is be like, you can't, you know, decimate us at all. Even if you try, we're just going to make whatever we have fabulous. Okay. But like, how would the freaking Prussians even know that they were doing this? Like, this I is know, the 1800s. I'm like, like, I'm like, did you send them like a photograph, like a lithograph? They used to even how to make a painting of it and then <laughs> bring it they down like, the hill. Send them a painting. And then the painting's going to take a long time to make. I know it's very confusing. Okay. So there was an American doctor who was in Europe at the time and he had the bad luck of being trapped in Paris during the siege. Um, Dr. Robert Lowry Sibet hailed from Pennsylvania and collected his recollections of the siege in a 580-page volume, The Siege of Paris, by an American eyewitness, published 1892. All right. Um, he goes on to say the first sign that uh, that all was not well was on October 10th, when in order to stem the number of sheep and cattle killed each day, the city opened its uh, markets to horse meat. Nothing was wasted. The horse... An arbitrator was blindfolded, struck with a sledgehammer on the forehead, and bled out with a large knife. The blood was caught in basins and used for purposes of making puddings. Yucky. On November 12, 1870, a stall was erected on the Rue Rochart. On the side of the stall was several large dogs, neatly dressed. Next to these, several large cats, also neatly dressed, which I know means, like, that they've been butchered. Like, yes. <laughs> but it sounds like they're dressed in, like, nice outfits. They're literally wearing little cute outfits covered in their own blood. <laughs> <laughs> on the left is a dozen or more rats stretched upon a tray, and a young woman, half-veiled, timidly approached them with a little girl by her side. She wishes to inquire of the price of rats, and she has enough money to purchase one. Um... So then people go on to say dog is not a bad substitute for mutton and cat, as uh, all of the world knows, is often eaten for rabbit. The rich, on the other hand, made merry over the pâtés de rat. Rat turned out to be very pricey. Sibet recorded the cat and dog meat was anywhere between 20 and 40 cents per pound, but the plump rat cost 50 cents per pound. Why? There's so many more rats than cats and dogs. I know, and this is just proof you can convince rich people to jump on literally any bandwagon, including preferring rat meat. Also, I feel like the plague wasn't that long ago. They just forgot about rats being like sort of plague filled. I know. I I guess if you cook them, it's fine. I don't know. I guess. So anyway, back to Chef Sharon and the Christmas day menu of 1870 at Voisson restaurant. Uh, On the menus is uh, emblazoned with the words 99th day of the siege. So for the Christmas dinner on December 25th, 1870, and this menu uh, was like, the menu was, <laughs> the chef has a daily changing menu um, between <laughs> December 25th and uh, January 1st. It was a week-long kind of extravagant event. He orchestrated one of history's most famous menus, which makes even today's avant-garde chefs look like wimpy in their efforts. Wimpy? To champion muskox, buffalo, or insects. Hmm. So, Buff- Where do they get buffalo from? No, they didn't have buffalo. They, this the person who wrote this article was saying it makes. Oh, um, I see. I see. Yeah, it. people okay. who try to like cook buffalo and insects today look silly. So Sharon had gotten um, the meat from the Paris Zoo, including the only elephants at the zoo named Castor and Pollux. The two had been named after twin sons of Zeus, who allegedly helped uh, the infant Roman city state defeat their Etruscan rivals back in the day. The elephants suffered a fate and did not suit their heroic names. So, how did they travel? How did they get all that heavy elephant meat around? I don't know. It's a great question. And like, I who caught up an elephant? Like, were these butchers even qualified to cut up elephants? How did they keep it cold? Actually, is my biggest question here. Hmm, that is a good question. But it was January. It was cold. It was January, and it was before global warming. So they were lucky. It was probably cold outside already. Yeah. Great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for starters, um, he serves a donkey head with sardines. Okay. Um, there was the a donkey author, at the zoo? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, what a like how rude like to go. You have like elephants, lions, and tigers, and like, a donkey. I mean, it just seems like a little bit of a letdown. <laughs> um, one can only the author goes on to say one can only imagine the donkey head with its hair pulled off by a red hot iron, baked slowly, glazed like a boar's head with pins to hold up the ear, prunes for eyes, teeth inside congealed fat, all mounted on a bread. Uh, on a bread plinth, a complete mockery of a classic banquet centerpiece. Okay. Not sure why they put sardines in it. Doesn't seem like it would be a great pairing, but who am I? <laughs> I'm certainly no seventh pillar of the world, culinary world. No, I'm just a lowly lasagna baker. <laughs> um, I would have made some kind of elephant lasagna, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have, so they carved it and it was polished by uh, with a, had silver that was polished by waiters they had expensive wine it was crazy next there was elephant consomme which was a heavy clarified stock um okay because the elephant was heavy i guess the rich fatty (laughs) elephant stock sounds kind of good um over the following days chef sharon added to his reputation by serving the elephant's trunk with sauce chaussure which is hunter's sauce and even teased diners with a special version of beef bourguignon which was made with elephant instead of beef Okay, I have a question here. Please. A couple of questions. Mm-hmm. Go Number right one, is it ethical to charge money for the only food left inside of <clears throat> wherever they were? <laughs> In Paris, yeah. Because uh, it seems like, you know, th- this elephant could probably feed like a lot of people. Like I know. Hundreds of people for free, but we're doing this restaurant thing. Capitalism, baby. <laughs> the rich. I don't really understand what a siege is because in my mind, if something is being sieged, the people Wouldn't are they like just take it? running towards it with sharp knives. Exactly. And I like, don't understand why they just start. It was like cruel and unusual punishment, just starving them out like this. So it's not really a siege can also be where you just sit down and wait for them to starve to death. I guess so. I mean, huh, right. or you can be under siege on like a boat, uh, a oh, submarine, like right. Tommy Lee Jones. Well, I and, feel like uh, Steven Seagal. And under siege, there's definitely sharp objects. Yeah, of course, Tommy Lee Jones gets, as we all know, gets famously stabbed in the forehead. Ouchie. Yeah, he sure does. And he did Ouchie. not survive. Nope. <laughs> okay, so next on the Christmas men- menu, there was fried camel a l'anglaise, kangaroo stew, bear shanks, and pepper sauce. One of the oddest pairing was uh, a dish that was called, in English, it would be translated to cat flanked by rats. Okay. So, so it was an entire cat um, with like rats around bone in bone in cat so the chef recommends today we have a lovely cat flanked by rats so this is going to be bone in so it's not for the squeamish no 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 uh the rat tails are on they're fried crispy you can you can chop away at them nope um so then there was an antelope and truffle sauce with the horns still on um, there's all kinds of wacky stuff. So also during the Christmas 1870 dinner, uh, the Paris elite rated and all the elite restaurant tours, all of the fucking bourgeoisie rated their wine cellars for the most precious bottles. Uh, Sharon's wine pairing for his famous meal was Mouton Rothschild, uh, 1846, Romanet Conti, 1958, Chateau Palmier, 1864, we're all part of the selection. Um, the greatest wines. No, 18, okay. 1858. The great from the future, future wine. The greatest <laughs> wines from the greatest vintages stored to their climax with infinite patience. Um, of an yeah, so well, they drink all this like crazy expensive. This is not right. this is finite. That's um, true. But I guess maybe they thought they were gonna die, so it's fine to get the old wine out. I guess so. I mean, I think they were just really living it up. But I, part of me respects this and thinks it's cool, like, to make the most of, like, a shitty situation and kind of just, I like that mentality. The other part of me agrees with you. It's just, like, isn't it just, like, the bourgeoisie to, like, drink expensive wine and eat all the elephant meat while others (laughs) probably starve to death? Yeah. Share that elephant meat, you fuckers. Yeah, man. So shortly after, in the early days of January, 72 Krupp cannons were unleashed over the city of Paris. It was bombed to the point of surrender in a blaze of shrapnel, which destroyed more of the city than any other war has subsequently achieved, including your other favorite war, World War II. That's wild. So that's kind of how it ended. Um, They just surrendered, which I'm not sure why it took them so long. They had to, like, it had to come to eating all of the zoo meat before they did, but... 
Yeah. So they ate the whole zoo and then they were like, okay. Uh, so that's probably why they're drinking the fancy wine because they had to surrender the city and they were afraid right. that the Prussians are going to come in and drink all of their wine. Exactly. The Prussians are coming. The Prussians are coming. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is very interesting. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's very, uh, I think it's a very interesting story. It has like, again, like I appreciate the fact that they lived it up, but also share the elephant meat. Isn't what there do you another think? similar situation where they just killed all the zoo animals? I feel like there's some other scenario where this, but maybe I'm just conflating this story with we bought a zoo. You think there's an, you remember <laughs> another story where they ate the zoo? I think this is it, baby. No, I don't think they ate the zoo. I think they just killed all the animals. Oh, I'm sure that's happened many times. It seems sure. like a real fuck you to come into someone's city and kill their animals. Yeah. I'm sure it's happened before. Yeah. But maybe they were also like, we're protesting zoos. You know? Mm, like, sure. Like, zoos are yes, very mean. strange. Yes, it is mean to kill this giraffe. But also, this giraffe should never have been living in Paris. Exactly. Um, so what are your three top three favorite Christmas foods? My, I'm not including elephant soup. <laughs> my top three favorite Christmas foods are probably, hmm, this is hard, because we don't really have the same thing every year, but I do love making sugar cookies with frosting. Mm. I know you do, and I think that's adorable. Really fun, really tasty treat. I like a simple little sugar cookie, very simple, nothing complicated. Um, I also really like, macaroni and cheese we just have macaroni and cheese in hand usually which i don't like ham i think you said in hand in hand <laughs> like you put it in your like, hand as soon as you walk in the door in my parents house at christmas they put macaroni and cheese directly <laughs> into your palm um and yeah i think i don't know i just all the like christmas candy stuff i just don't normally eat it's fun to mm-hmm. eat. like i just saw a candy cane filled with Reese cups at the store yesterday and i'm like oh yeah that's delicious <laughs> oh yeah absolutely amazing i like the reese's bells like the bell-shaped reese's oh yeah are those even still around mm-hmm. i just saw them at cvs the other day okay yeah cvs really gets all the varieties in there they do okay is that it for you yeah, that was three okay so i really love christmas cookies like different kinds of christmas cookies mm-hmm. and the ones i like to make the most the ones i most appreciate when some gifts to me are those little mexican wedding cookies they also call them like russian tea cakes sometimes they're like yeah. basically just ground nuts all kinds of yummy spices and then dusted and powdered sugar um I really like, because my pa- my family is part Italian, normally we go to Bamonte's and we always have some variation. We don't, like, when we go to Bamonte's on Christmas Eve, we don't do, like, the seven fishes or whatever necessarily, but I love, I mean, that's, like, red sauce and fish, like, having, like, shrimp marinara or mussels marinara, calamari, for, like, that feels very traditional for mm-hmm. me in my family, and... I guess I also really love, if I have to be honest, and I know this is probably going to, lo- we're going to lose some listeners because of this. <laughs> I like eggnog. Oh, I love eggnog. I like eggnog. It is basically just drinking heavy cream with eggs in it. Mm-hmm. It's like drinking melted ice cream. Yeah. But I find it to be delicious. It's very delicious. I also just bought some like vegan eggnog because it's a little bit less heavy. A vegan nog. Okay. Oh, and- look. It's no, it's almond milk. Um, almond nog. It's really delicious in coffee, also. Mm, Pouring some eggnog. That's a great point, right in isn't it? Coffee. Yeah. Um, but that reminded me of something that I forgot about, which I also love Christmas food wise is Chex Mix. Mm, Chex Mix is my, great. Yes. My stepmom makes a really good version with lots of Worcestershire. So some of the pieces are still chewy, which I really enjoy. But typically. Oh, that's smart. This is going to definitely make us lose some listeners. When I eat Chex Mix, I only eat the rice Chex out of there. I don't eat anything else. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, inconsiderate of you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge bitch. Um, but yeah, I also had some Chex Mix over Thanksgiving, and I ate only the rice Chex out of there. And then eventually there was no more rice Chex, so I had to switch to wheat Chex, which is, you know, a cruel disappointment. I'm sorry, my friend. <laughs> 
Um, all right, guys. Well, this has been a riveting episode. I feel like I learned a lot. I laughed. I cried. Mm-hmm. I had a ball. And mm-hmm. now I'm off to fix myself a little bowl of elephant broth before I go to work. All right. That sounds great. All right, folks. Love you very much. Hasta la pasta. Bye. Bye. Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening. <laughs>